I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I'm here with my dear friend and colleague, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. I don't say good morning anymore, because we don't know. It's later this morning, and we don't know when people are listening, so hello. It's funny how many times I've said that intro, so it just comes so natural, and it's the same every time. We it should is. just record it, because uh, it, it doesn't change. We get started about 30 seconds later, yeah. Yeah, leave a legacy. That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, what'd you think? I liked it, and I, I thought it was an interesting perspective, because uh, I know this friend that you're talking about, mm-hmm. but I did not know the history. I just thought it. I just thought he did what I don't say most kids do when they work in family businesses, because It's not always the same, but I just thought he, you know, went to go find his own path and then something kind of drew him back to the family business or or maybe, and I don't think he'd be offended because I don't know him well enough, but maybe it was just the easier path. And he was like, yeah, this will be fun. And, uh, and I get to only see today, I don't know what it was like in the past. So I get to see the, the fruits of his labor and how well it's going that I'm like, oh yeah, it's a no brainer. Why wouldn't he do that? So that's what I thought. I'll fill in the gaps for our listeners. Uh, I wanted to write this week on legacy. And in order to do that, I started with a story. And that story was a story of my best friend. So uh, we've been really close for two decades. And uh, I said at the beginning of our friendship, we were both at an interesting stage of life where we felt and we acted like kids but the world considered us adults. So we had to figure out what adulting actually looked like. So I remember we were roommates at the time. I remember leaving the house specifically, I think we're going to the beach or something and walking to his truck. And I I said to him, Hey, I think I'm going to go back to school and study finance. And he kind of just laughed at me. He's like, why would you want to study finance? And what I talked about in the article is that nothing from my past experience or my hobbies or interests would lead anybody to believe that I wanted to study finance. So, um, but nonetheless, here we are today. Uh, for him, he took a different path. Uh, he, he went back to college and um, he didn't really know what he wanted to do. But at that time in his life, it was uh, his dad had run a very successful business and it was a one man show. And what he did, the type of work, they do creative work, uh, and it was grueling work, like the hours and the, the physicality of it. So he made a decision at that time that one, because um, his dad had had some uh, medical issues or concerns, uh, he one, wanted to spend more time with his dad. He was the youngest of three kids, uh, and he wanted to kind of take some load off of kind of that physical work for his dad. So uh, in those years, for the next four or five years we lived together, uh, he just worked alongside his dad. And he would work 12-hour days. He'd get home at 2 a.m. Uh, it was It's a long commute, like two-hour two commute, and there's a lot of traffic. So, But if you would ask him in that season, hey, like, what do you think of the work you're doing? He would just embrace it. He's like, I get to spend so much time with my dad. I, I love it. Uh, we get to work together. We get to sit in traffic together. So, And it's funny because I know at that point, uh, when all of us that were living together were living on ramen and um, uh, looking at our bank accounts before we paid for dinner, I know that the sweat and energy and effort and hours he put in absolutely did not match his compensation at that time. Yeah, it's kind of fun to hear. And, and you mentioned in the article that like uh, in and out, everyone starts at fries. And uh, I know that you and I have had uh, jobs in the past that 
we had to do things that required a lot of grit. You know, it was like hard work and where you're cold calling and, and just working all day long, long hours. And then at the time, I, I, we didn't embrace it like your friend did. We we probably just realized like, oh, man, well, this is a season of life, but we'll get past it. But in hindsight, you appreciate it because you do develop that grit and you, you kind of find yourself working through those tough situations that now when you come, fall into a, a tough day, you're like, oh, this is nothing compared to before. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And there's some character building that happens along the way. You referenced, uh, I don't know where I heard it. I tried to search, but I remember whether it was at grad school or something, there was an executive from In-N-Out that was speaking. And his tagline, like you mentioned, was everybody starts in fries. And what he was saying is that it doesn't matter what role you're going to be at in this company in the future. Like there is this natural funneling system where you're going to learn it from the ground up. I even went to the In-N-Out website and uh, I was reading a little bit about kind of like how they have these levels of where people start and they kind of go through the system. This part could be wrong, but I do remember, unless my memory's wrong, uh, him talking about even the heir apparent uh Lindsay something. I don't remember her last name, but I think she's like one of the youngest female billionaires. Or, right. Yeah, but she's the sole owner now, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I believe so. Again, I'm muddling the story, but he talked about her uh, starting in fries, right? And how even though she was known to be the heir apparent for the business, she was going to start at that position and kind of work her way up. Yeah, it. it uh, I, I, I like hearing stories like that because that that's how it should be. I mean, no, no one likes the story of, uh, you know, the owner's kids come to the company as like a consultant and they have no experience and that, but then they get a, a C-suite position and then they just take over. And you know, what's interesting about your, your story is uh, a lot of times, and I think you mentioned this, when family businesses end up like that, being left to the kids, it's normally at the business's demise. Like it, it doesn't go well. And so uh, this was kind of the opposite. Uh, not only... Did your friend, you know, put in the time and the work, but he actually found a way to make it more efficient and scale, and, and now it's uh, fruitful. Yeah, exactly. The example I gave, it was a business, it was a one-man show, and now, you know, prior to some of the recent strikes and things like that, he was employing over 30 people. And I remember, again, I just have these little pocket memories. I remember when we were driving one day, and I remember exactly where we were in San Clemente stop sign. I'm like, what's your dream for this business? At the time where it was just him and his dad. And he said, uh, I would love to employ four people that it would really support their family. Like, I would love to share in the flourishing and um, be able to create a life-changing opportunity for, for other families. I'm like, oh, that's huge. And now he's done that sixfold, right? So again, I've had a front row seat and I kind of concluded the article saying that like, if if you've read about this and you've heard about it, you might find it interesting. You might even find it fascinating. But what you're not going to see is what I see, which is beauty, right? Because I had a front row seat for how this works and this is legacy. And what you alluded to was what we're talking about here is he's the exception, not the rule, right? You can read a ton of case studies on what happens to wealth when it gets to the second or third generation. And what you talked about is this natural atrophy or deterioration. I think some people, when they hear that, they say, oh, it's actually a really simple answer. Because the second generation or third generation didn't earn it, therefore they won't revere it. And that would give you an easy out to stop having the discussion. But my, my counter is, if you see stories like this, you might believe that it could be difficult 
but it's not impossible. Have you ever heard that quote where it talks about, and I'm going to get it wrong, but it says like, my grandfather walked 10 miles to work. My father walked five. I drive a Cadillac. My son drives a Mercedes. My grandson will drive a Ferrari and my great grandson will be walking back to work. And it talks about how like tough times create like strong men, strong men create good times. Um, good times create weak men and weak men create tough times. And I was like, man, oh, that's a good word. I've like, not heard that. It hits home because it's like, it's so true. I mean, in, in the industry we're in too, we, we see it where, you know, grandma and grandpa or the clients are first generation wealth and they worked hard, started a business, did something. And then you can uh, see it where the kids are like somewhat responsible or, or somewhat involved. And then you see the grandkids and, and they're not. And, and it like, it can almost be frustrating sometimes when you get to know these families and their, their plan is like, well, what plan we're set? And I'm like, Oh no. Yeah. You're, you're exactly right. And actually you are taking the conversation right to the heart of the article, which is I did spend a lot of time doing this intro and giving this story. Like, setting up the conversation. But really the heart of the article is that leaving a legacy should be important to you because we've talked about it so many times on this podcast. Most of our clients have more than enough, which means there will be leftovers, which means those leftovers need to be stewarded by somebody. Uh, And what we're talking about and what uh, I pointed out in the article was that this was amazing to see my friend take a business that was really good and make it really great. And what I laid out in the article then is to say, hey, I've, uh, I've brought you to the edge of your seat. Now you're curious. Now you're interested. And now you say, hey, what can I do to help leave a legacy? So then I walked through what I saw, right? What, how I saw uh, my best friend's father uh, give his son the best possible chance to succeed in the business. Now, again, when we're saying business, we could easily say that with wealth, right? Whether you're passing down a business or a dollar, uh, the, the concept is the same. So in these five steps, I started out with give them wisdom. You know, it's funny. I Sorry, I wanted to interrupt because you did say a few articles ago that you want to try and make uh, articles that are apl- uh, applicable, like something that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that as I was going through this, I'm like, oh, it's nice that you set like steps of things that you can do. I thought that was helpful because when I first read the category or the topic, I was like, oh, great. We could talk about this pretty easily, you know, by telling stories. And I was going to bring up the quote and we could have left it at that. But I think it's helpful that you're giving like almost to do's. Yeah. My wife and I, she makes fun of me, but typically after, uh, we go home on, uh, after a Sunday morning and we heard a preach right? And we have lunch with friends or whatever. And it usually gets to a place of discussing the message. And she knows what I'm obsessed with is what was the application? Like, what was that, that one line synopsis of what that person wanted to get across? And how do you take that place it in your back pocket and, and change the way you live your life? So my hope was, I don't want to say there's an exact science to this, but I wanted to give you five ideas to say, hey, if you focus on these things, and these are things I'm focusing on as a father, I think that you can give the second generation a really good opportunity to carry the torch further. Makes sense. Let's get into it. Yeah. Give them wisdom. So what I started out there is that wisdom for me would be described as that that uh, simultaneous or the, 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 the joining of experience and knowledge. Right. My friend's dad had done this for 30 years. 
right? He had seen a lot of things. He had been in a lot of experiences. So when I say give them wisdom, you have to look at your backpack of wisdom that you carry, and you have to take out the exact puzzle pieces that will fit for whatever the next generation is dealing with. And that will always be different. So I loved in school when we would study current events, right? We would take whatever it is, history or math, and we'd say, hey, this was in the newspaper today. Now let's take this topic that we're studying and apply it to this subject matter. And that's what you're going to have to do if you are the first generation. You are going to have to figure out how do you pass down wisdom. You're going to have to have a relationship, be shoulder to shoulder, and look for those times where you could say, hey, I've been through this before, and this is what I did, right? You and I do it every day, right? We oversee a a large team of advisors, and it is very rare. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's very rare where you are brought a question that you've never heard or seen before. Yeah, and I thought about when you talked about uh, working shoulder and shoulder with someone because as things come up, um, that I feel like that's where you learn the most, like uh, on the job, right? Where if there's uh, an emergency or a setback, and you kind of see how, and, and your friend was able to see that with this father, that you know, all right, the setback happened. What do we do? We're going to stay till two, and we're going to make sure it's done the right way, and that's just what we do. And that that little, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to take away from the next one, which is give them seeds. But that little seed or that nugget is something that you you do take with you forever. And now that there's thirty employees, and that incident comes up, they know what to do. Yeah, you're exactly right. And w- what I got to see too, benefits of having that front row seat, is I know how my friend is wired, right? He is really good at doing work. He's really good at executing things. He was not very good at people, Mm. right? He wasn't very good at relationships. His dad was amazing at it. So I mentioned it in the last paragraph. Yes, he learned the craftsmanship from his dad. And yes, he learned the mechanics of the business. But the greatest thing that his dad passed down to him was how to treat customers right and build a lasting reputation. Because that's the real torch he got to carry is that reputation his dad built. And he had to learn how to bite his tongue, build relationships, and get outside of his comfort zone. Yeah, it's making me think of Tommy Boy. <laughs> you don't have <laughs> we to We would have to your... quote it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, you got me on the sidetrack now. The next thing I said, and I think it's extremely important, is this section was called Give Them Seeds. But you really have to look at the first sentence to understand what I mean. Give them seeds, but not an orchard, right? What I mean by that is you want to give them something to manage. You want to give them opportunity. You want to give them freedom to even fail. And I think I said this in the article is that it is the the first generation that will kind of cast the vision, but uh, the next generation is actually going to forge the path. So the problem here is you see the opposite. You see where somebody gives an orchard, right? And the problem there is you don't get any time for that character building. So when resources or wealth outpaces character, it typically doesn't end well. Yeah, and the first thing I think of too is if you give too much responsibility too early and a mistake's made, you almost can't you you almost can't let them fail and learn from it. You almost take the reins back and say, "Ah, this was a mistake or too early." And I could see the same thing with finances. Um, to your point, though, it, it could happen unexpectedly where you're giving the orchard, and so that just means that you need to focus on these things now while while you're able to. 
Yeah. So you listen to this podcast and you have a $15 million portfolio or net worth and you have two kids that are in their mid-20s, you need to figure out a way to give them seeds because one day they're going to get the orchard. And today, between today and your, you know, the end of your tour of duty, you need to figure out a way how they're going to build that character, that responsibility, and that stewardship. Yeah, I, I know that we've both heard, oh, well, they're, you know, they're not ready for that now, but hopefully I'll have plenty of time. And when I hear things like that, I, I don't want to seem morbid, but I... You know, I hope, and I'll I'll do this later. It just seems like a, I, just, I can hear this like siren going off in my head. Like, oh man, I I hope I hope you do. I hope you have plenty of time. But what if you know? It, what if you don't? And I think you and I know this well because our stage of life. But we send our kids to school every day. But who's parenting our kids? We are. Like the, the teachers are going to mold them as students, uh, really help them grow. But at the end of the day. Who's going to be the consistent part of that equation for your kids? You are. Like, you have to parent your kids. So I would say, like you're saying, yeah, you you could verbally say you're going to punt it, but they're your kids. It's the next generation. Like, it's your job to, to basically develop them, which we're going to get into that. But after I said give them seeds, and I think this is, like, sequentially so important, you have to give them autonomy. I'm going to be really direct. You cannot be a helicopter parent if they always rely on you, whether it's for your physical strength, your mental capability and answers, your financial resources. If they always rely on you, they will never be able to do it on their own. You have to give them autonomy. And it kind of goes back to giving them seeds. Is it, you, you almost want them to make mistakes or or have, have you know failure when it's not the end of the world or it's not that important. If you end up helicopter parenting, same goes with like little kids. You know, they talk about, you know, not letting your kids play on the playground or the monkey bars because you're afraid they're going to fall and get hurt. And if you end up sheltering them and helicopter parenting forever, the first sign of adversity or, or it might not be till high school or college when you're not there to help anyway. So uh, it, I think it goes hand in hand. You, you, you can't You can't just do it for them forever. Yeah, and I know there's a desire to do it. You know, my oldest boy likes to play with Lincoln Logs. And uh, one of my favorite things to do, it's it's hard, it's a struggle, but I will take up the directions because they'll give you like a different house ideas. And I'll say, hey, I'll sit back, I'll do the directions, you build the whole thing. And he loves it. So I'm like, hey, now you need to get a little piece. And he grabs one, nope, that's a medium piece. You need to get a little piece. And then he starts putting somewhere, nope, you got to rotate it around. So uh, it's my opportunity to say, hey, this is going to be the work of your hands. I am just going to sit in the background and, and translate for you what these directions say. So what lesson do you teach him when his younger brother comes in and kicks over the house? Oh, that happens every single time. Like, <laughs> the younger brother actually loves to do that. It's a known thing. So like if me or mommy sees that happening, we're like, oh, no, he's coming. You yeah. have to grab him. It's like his favorite thing to do. So this, this next one, I think if you, if you just took the title, you would see – you would feel like it's a – it's a counter to what we just said. But the next thing I said, you have to give them guidance. And uh, because that can be confusing, you're like, wait, I give them seeds, I give them autonomy, and now I give them guidance. Here's what I mean, and I, I gave it a little further definition. Uh, odd word to say, but I said give them Socratic guidance. Uh, if you're familiar with the Socratic method, it's a way of teaching where you ask questions. So what I'm telling you is I believe the next generation has the answers within them. 
your skill set is going to be how do I ask the right questions that surface those right answers. I'm glad that you identified that it, it could be confusing that we're saying, you know, don't helicopter them, but give them guidance, but not too much guidance, just the right amount. And I, I think asking questions is the most important way to do it. And it, it, it can probably be frustrating and take lots of patience, just like you building Lincoln Log Houses, you know, with Shep. But I ultimately think that they will find the answers or learn from these questions over time. One of the most frustrating things for me working with David Bonson, a lot of the time I'm like, just give me the answer. And he's like, no, he, again, I don't know if it's intentional, but for my interactions, I feel like he really does exercise that Socratic method, not only because uh, there's a belief that we do have the answer, the, the truth can surface. Uh, there's also a responsibility that if you have to make the decision, then you're accountable for it, right? There's an easy cop out. If I say, hey, Sean, what should I do in this case? And then you tell me I do it and it doesn't work out, then I can put my hands up and say, all I was doing was what Sean told me to do. He definitely does ask the questions because he wants us to find the answers ourselves. But I also think he enjoys getting different responses because then he can make fun of us in the future with them. Yes, he likes to shame us. Yes. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I put questions on there like, what led you to that conclusion? What obstacles might you face? What resources will you need? If you're going to give them guidance, I am telling you, no comments allowed. Only ask questions, right? And those dialogue will do what? Build further relationship, which... I would assume most parents would love that. And pro tip, if they're ever asking something that you don't know the answer to, you just ask lots of questions and you'll seem very wise. Yeah. You and I, in a, in a past life, we worked in a sales organization. I remember we, we would do training because we were trying to change people's habits and we made them play this game where they just had to ask questions back and forth, right? And mm-hmm. the first person that couldn't ask a sequential question uh, was out, right? And uh, it was a, a fun game because you could see the maturity of the salesperson and that understood communication skills. They could go a really long time with just playing tennis with questions, right? And if you didn't know they were doing that, it, it actually looked natural. Yeah, that's true. It, uh, I think that just comes with that you know, time and share. You, you end up hearing a lot of things and remembering them and it just you're more comfortable and same goes with kind of this whole idea of legacy a lot of the wisdom just comes from experience 100 percent, yeah uh wisdom experience plus knowledge that you accumulate over time i think that is in my view a good definition of wisdom so what we've said is that you give them wisdom right and that that is kind of like their 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 maturation period right they're they're maturing uh then you give them some responsibility right you give them seeds then you give them autonomy with those seeds, and then you help their thinking. You give them guidance, right? You ask these uh, Socratic-based questions. The last part I put on here, and what I'm seeing this is this is an evolution of a person, right? When somebody then is functioning almost on their own, this is the lifelong commitment that you have. And in here, I was really intentional to say, whether your kids are toddlers, teenagers, or midlifers, this last thing, I think it lasts forever. And that would be to develop them. And again, if I just say develop them, I'm not giving you a lot of meat on the bone. So I'm defining this as two parts. I've heard people say, give grace and truth, right? I'm going to reconstruct that a little bit. And I'm going to say, 
I want you, if you want to build a legacy and help them carry the torch, I want you to do two things. I want you to give encouragement and I want to get you to give correction. Now, that word correction, if you want to replace it with a different word, constructive criticism or feedback, whatever. Um, I'm going to call it correction for, for this sake. And what I, what I talked about in the article is that that first lever, really easy to pull. Encouragement, right? That shouldn't be hard. Yet, people don't do it enough. So if you catch somebody doing something right, again, I'm going to say it that way, right? It's not catch somebody doing something wrong. If you catch somebody doing something right, I want you to use words of affirmation and be able to take a time out, slow things down and say, that was really incredible. And not just say, good job, pat on the back, but really define why that was important, right? You might say something like, hey, what I, when I saw you do that, it was incredibly important because it reinforced the values of this business and it really made sure that the culture of this business is retained because you're following everything, all that wisdom that I've planted. Yeah, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, just peers and colleagues and, and you know, when you end up working for an efficient business or a business that's, you know, thriving, uh, there's high expectations. So uh, the, there's a lot of things on the day-to-day that are, are absolutely just expected. But you're right. I don't think that um, those things are always recognized or celebrated enough because those are the things that are helping the company thrive and, and helping uh, everyone achieve at a high level. So you're right. It, it should be recognized. And one thing we are extremely afraid of is that other lever, right? Okay, Trevor, you can convince me to do the encouragement, but we in America don't have a culture of correction, right? So that's bad. And what I'm going to tell you here is that there's a reason they're called blind spots because it's advantageous when there's another set of eyes that can provide another vantage point to help somebody course correct. And I talked to somebody recently about this and I told them something and I made it kind of funny. I was like, hey, I know this might surprise you and I don't want to catch you off guard, but I have to tell you something. You're not perfect. And we laughed about it, right? And then I said, I'm not perfect either and neither of us ever will be. So what we need to do is to try to help each other when those imperfections start to surface and they're damaging to relationships, to the business, to our finances, we have to have the fortitude and candor to be able to say, hey, that little imperfection right there, it can get you in a lot of trouble, right? And I think doctors see that, right? They're like, hey, this little thing happening here, uh, it, it's, it might feel like an ailment or something like that, but when that festers, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, they'll say something like, well, we're going to keep an eye on this or we're going to check this and and half that when you're younger, you, you feel invincible that you're like, just get me out of here. Like, oh, it's not an issue. Great. I'll worry about it later. But then as you get older, you're like, wait, time out. Should, I, should, should we check this or should we look into this? Um, that That's funny. You know, you know, another thing is that I've definitely convinced myself as I've matured, I guess, and gotten older, that giving feedback to people is is a sign that you care. Because and I think I used to say that like, hey, you know. I'm only telling you this because I care, and but really, I'm thinking like I'm really doing this because if I don't hold you accountable, then I'm going to be held accountable. But really, as time has gone on, I will even friends, like close friends that I work with, I will, I will point out like, hey, I noticed this, what, why, and then they explain. And I say, hey, I, I'm just telling you because we're friends. I wouldn't do it that way, and this is why. 
And even though they may, they may not like it in the feedback at the time, I feel completely comfortable that uh, our friendship's strong enough that it won't be an issue going forward. And uh, I maybe I've just convinced myself that it, it's 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 for the best. Yeah, it's it's this is a bad analogy, but like if if you and I you know walk out of this office right now and there's a Coke can on the ground, right? If we walk by it, somebody's gonna have to pick it up. Right, it's not going to go away, and it's my same feeling here. Is that if you identified in somebody that you love and care about, and that you know very, very well, and you see something that's thematic, it ain't going away, right? So, it's almost like leaving trash on the ground. It is your responsibility. You should have that conviction. If you see it, it is your responsibility to deliver that. And the challenge here is that you don't want to build a reputation for just calling out somebody's faults, right? So there is an art to it. And it kind of takes you back to that give them guidance. Sometimes you have to ask a few questions that would lead someone to that thematic imperfection. And if in that questions asking, right, you realize like they're not mature enough to to see this yet, you have to back off, mm-hmm. right? You have to put it back in your back pocket and say, this is something that would be good for them. They're just not ready for it yet. And I, I talked about it earlier in the article when I talked about wisdom is that you, when you deliver wisdom, you have to make sure it's commensurate with their maturity. Like, can they carry this truth? And to make it really easy to understand for our listeners, you know, there's conversations I'm not going to have with my four-year-old. He, you know, I'm not going to talk to my four-year-old about the birds and the bees. Like, he's just, he doesn't have the ability to carry that uh, the weight of that truth yet. So that is where there is an art to this. Yeah, we've talked about it in the past where um, there may be an opportunity to provide feedback uh, or con- constructive criticism, and, and then we don't. And and it's because we realized that nothing good was going to come out of that conversation or the timing was off. And, and that's where the art, it really does matter because you almost need to be self-aware and be able to read the room and understand the timing, if it's appropriate or not. Yeah, it's part of learning how to be a husband, right? Yeah, yeah that too. <laughs> So uh, I would encourage you, take some time, uh, pull out your journal, like look at these steps and say, hey, am I doing these things with my kids? And I'll, I'll bring you back to that place. Go ahead and look at your balance sheet, right? For most of our clients, that balance sheet is going to overshadow or dwarf their lifestyle. So over time, that balance sheet's going to grow, which means that that orchard is going to find its way into the hands of the next generation. And if you didn't do heavy lifting here, right? This isn't easy, right? Parenting is not easy. Uh, teaching financial stewardship is not easy. But if you did not do this work, then it will look like every study we're familiar with, where second or third generation, all of the wealth disappears. And just like Sean talked about going from walking to work to these different vehicles, going full circle, um, back to walking to work. Again, I butchered that, but I I think people will Google and and kind of get what you were putting down there. So uh, give them wisdom, give them seeds, but not an orchard. Give them autonomy, give them guidance, Socratic guidance, and develop them. And that last thing, uh, if you feel really good about the first four, awesome, because you can do the number five the rest of your life. Uh, Your kids can be 70 years old, and they're still going to be imperfect uh, and they're still going to be doing amazing things that de- deserve encouragement, right? That last part about develop them is twofold. 
It's provide encouragement and give feedback. And you might get to a place that you say, hey, uh, not that it's totally quantifiable, but you might want to give five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten encouraging words for every one time that you really want to pull out a splinter and, and kind of give a little correction. Yeah, and we probably see way too often the other way around, always trying to find things to correct instead of encouraging them. So uh, legacy is a beautiful thing, and it's also a hard thing to obtain. Uh, I was lucky enough and blessed enough to see how it worked out for my friend. I actually sent him this article last night, and I said, I'm not even going to ask your permission. I'm writing about you. I'm not using your name, so you just have to be okay with it. Um, and uh, I mentioned even in the text message I sent him, I'm taking a little creative freedom here to make this a good story, but I really didn't, and and that's why I wanted him to read it because uh, you know I might have inserted some things of how he felt or uh, things that he dad, his dad did, but from my vantage point, that that's what it looked like. So I hope it was helpful. And I really do hope that you will prioritize and value some thought time to, to what legacy looks like. Shakes his head. I mean, Sean Latimer has nothing else to add. Um, we will ask that you rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments on the podcast section. Uh, we will also ask that if you have any questions for us, any feedback, any topics that you'd like us to cover, easy way to get a hold of us is, is Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsagroup.com. Again, Tom at thebonsagroup.com. And you can address that to Trevor or Sean. We would love to engage with you. And with that said, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.